Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. My name is Nick. Today we are going high class and we are going low class. Music is a, connects to people on really deep level that, in a way that I don't know what other art does. There was a time that I feel like I heard people talking about it more. Um, and there are definitely people who felt like I was going to hold myself back if I did use a baton. And so it's always in my mind to, you know, keep pushing and keep growing and um, keep trying to make things happen um, because, you know, today's great opportunities may not be there tomorrow. <laughs> I, love, I love how we're going dinosaurs uh, uh, th- this episode. A woolly mammoth so, is not a dinosaur. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go through the hassle to spell your name with extra letters when you don't have to, you can have my trust. Well, the only thing I can confirm is is me loving loving to eat some little weenies. I can't help it. I want to thank you guys so much for joining us. If you get a chance, like, download, subscribe, share. It really helps us out. We really appreciate it. Our first guest was basically inspired by two events. The other night, I got home a little bit late, and I was heating something up on the stove. Turned the stove on, walked away. A couple of minutes later, I wanted to see if the stove was hot. So I grabbed the burner with my hand, grabbed the flaming burner with my hand. I'm in my 30s. I don't know about you guys, but what were you, four when you realized that a stove is hot? So this event has basically convinced me that I am getting stupider and I need to do something about it immediately. The second thing that inspired our first guest is that I was watching Sesame Street with my son, which is a fantastic experience. And there was a conductor, an orchestra conductor that came on TV. And my son asked me, Daddy, in his two-year-old language, what he do. I didn't have a clue. I said, well, he's, um, he's, there is nothing like a toddler to make you realize how little you know about the world. And so we wanted to change that. And so we found one of the best conductors around. Our first guest is Alan Pearson with Alarm Will Sound. He's worked with a bunch of musicians that you've heard of. He's got a bunch of cool things coming up. And it's really fascinating just to listen and find out exactly what a conductor does and just how, how important music is in our lives. What does a conductor do? That's a great question. A conductor does lots of things. I think... 
in a way, like the easiest way to start thinking about it is that the conductor, the conductor to the orchestra is like a director to a play. You know, it's the conductor's role to lead all of these people in putting together a coherent performance that has a vision. When you're up there conducting, can you hear all of the different instruments or how does that work? When it works really well, you're both hearing the big picture and also really aware of all of the little things that are going on to make up that big picture. But if something isn't working quite the way I want, um, that I can zone in quickly on like where what's where is it coming from? Like what what's the thing that's making that's making things not quite work um, the way I imagine that they would. When you're hearing these different things. Are they bad? Like somebody is playing the instrument incorrectly, or is it just not what you want it to be? Right. It's you know when you're working with professional musicians, which is most of what I do, it's rarely that they just can't play it right. Sometimes it is, like especially with you know really challenging contemporary music, um, where there just could be like really hard stuff that has to be done. But more often than that, it's about um, listening. Uh, it's about feeling. It's about like how are People, you know, people are feeling something a little differently, and you know, which means maybe like like the players aren't feeling something like the tempo of it or the style of it or the character of it the way I have in mind, or maybe you know, people are just like doing slightly different things, and you have a situation where you know, like the oboe player is feeling something one way, uh, and the violin player is feeling something another way. I tend to be very direct and overly dramatic in the questions that I ask. So take these things kind of <laughs> cool. take them with a little bit with a grain of salt, because cool. when I look at it, I'm like, that guy is either doing everything or he's doing nothing. And I'm not sure which one to do. It. Right. And I think an interesting thing is that what you, what you see of what a conductor does um, is actually a small part of what a conductor is actually doing. The sort of grade school answer to what does a conductor do is that a conductor beats time, and it is sometimes important. There are times that, like, an ensemble or an orchestra really needs a conductor to show them where the beat is and to show them what the tempo is. So when you look at the music that's written down on the sheets, it's not necessarily like, this is hard and fast, this is supposed to be exactly here, this is supposed to be exactly there. It's more of a free-flowing kind of thing? Um, most music actually is really specific about you know, like exactly what has to happen. But there are still, there's still a lot left open to interpretation. By the time we get to performance, in most music, for most of the time, the players don't need me to tell them, like, beat three is now. Like, that's something that we're all feeling together. Um, and it's my job to be there for when they do need me to tell them that beat three is now. Um, but more what I'm doing at that point is uh, conveying the character of the music how did you get into this? I started out as a pianist and a composer, and I went to uh, undergrad school at MIT and got a physics degree. I was also doing music like on the side and got a music degree also. And then I went to the Eastman School of Music uh, as a composer initially um, and was studying composition there. And it was like a, composers were trying to organize performances of their music and, you know, needed conductors to help, like, uh, make that happen. And so I got sort of drafted into conducting the music 
that friends of mine had written and then found that I uh, really liked it and that actually I really like enjoyed conducting and facilitating other people's musical ideas, musical creations more than I enjoyed writing my own music. You went to MIT for physics? I did. I did. I feel like that probably means you're smarter than I am. There are many kinds of there are many kinds of smart. I guess that's that's a decent backup if the conducting thing doesn't work out. I think that bridge might have been crossed already. I think the I think the time when I could have a viable career as a physicist has passed. <laughs> the stick. Do you need the stick, yeah. or is that just like it's there because it's there? I don't use it. Um, I don't use the baton. I did as a student, um, and I had. Uh, I, I, one of my, um, role models and teachers didn't use a baton. Um, and I had, you know, I had sort of manager type people telling me that I really should use a baton because orchestras expect it. Um, and I had some teachers, um, advising me to use a baton and I worked on it. I, I think that people who use a baton really well, um, make it so that, the thing that the players want to look at is the tip of the baton. That the tip of the baton is really where the music is happening. And I never, I just never could perfect that. Like for me, even when I, I have big hands, uh, which I think is part of the problem. And for me, when I would use the baton, um, uh, the action was still happening at my, um, you know, at my hands and my fingers. Like I remember I used to, one of the ways that I, I came up with a sort of, cockamamie way to practice my baton technique, which was I, I attached a tiny little laser pointer to the end of a baton and tried to conduct and like watch where the laser pointer went on the wall and make the music happen there. Uh, so I really worked at it, um, but it never it never totally clicked for me. Is that a controversial thing within the industry, or is it kind of like? Some people shoot baskets left-handed and some people do it right-handed. I don't hear people talking about it much anymore. There was a time that I feel like I heard people talking about it more. Um, and there are definitely people who felt like I was going to hold myself back if I didn't use a baton. And it's possible I have. It's possible that like I would have a bigger career with um, mainstream orchestras than I do if I, if I used a baton. I mean, for people who are on the outside of it, it doesn't sound like what's the big deal but it kind of sounds like it is a big deal in the industry. It may be. It may be. I don't know. I, I guess I really don't have that much of a sense of it now. Like, I don't, I don't hear... I'm not aware of, of people getting hired or not hired or players being happy or not happy based on whether a connector uses a baton. Um, I feel like uh, it's mostly about uh, can the conductor show me as a player... Um, what he or she needs to and wants to. And for some people, the baton helps with that. And for some people, it doesn't. What kind of music do you like to do the most? I'm really passionate about contemporary music. Um, I really enjoy working with living composers. There's something happening that is very emotional, where a bunch of players are being brought together to together create some kind of powerful emotional experience. Of the different sections of the orchestra, who are generally like the bad boys of the orchestra? Like, who is going to give you the most? Who's going to give you the most trouble? I, as far as like actually giving me trouble, I don't feel like I feel like brass players and percussion players have the reputation 
for being, you know, because they're kind of sitting in the back, like the sections that are most likely to be uh, goofing around and um, uh, amusing themselves at the expense of, of maybe other parts of the orchestra. But It's always the kids in the back of the class, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Is there a famous composer, somebody that like, let's say from Beethoven, Bach, Mozart, those kind of eras, that you secretly don't like? Hmm. I feel like the classical... So my first love was really contemporary music. Like my gateway into classical music was not Mozart and Bach and Beethoven. Um, It was Leonard Bernstein and Stravinsky. Uh, And that's weird. I, I think that's an unusual story, um, like among my peers, um, like as a kid growing up playing piano, I wasn't really into, like Mozart never really spoke to me. Um, and so for years, actually, the standard, what we call the standard repertoire, like the classical repertoire of composers like Mozart and Beethoven didn't really speak to me. And then it was like, in, like you know, while I, was, while I was in grad school in my 20s, um, that I got to know this whole approach to the classical repertoire um, called Historically Informed Performance, which is about um, trying to understand how this music was played um, in the composer's own time. And learning about that uh, opened up that repertoire to me in ways that it hadn't before. Like learning about how people played Mozart and Beethoven and Brahms in the composer's lifetimes and how the composers imagined hearing their music. Why is it, though, that somebody like me knows about those kind of the older composers but doesn't necessarily know about the the newer ones? Has that has the music kind of gone down in terms of a form of entertainment that most people engage in? Or were those older composers just more dominant, better, whatever words you want to use there? I think it has to do with the place of music in our culture now. Um, you know, there was a there was a time when you know orchestras always just played what was new. People wanted to play what was new. You don't want to play. It was like popular music. You don't want to play what was you know ten years old. Like you want to. They wanted to hear something new. They wanted to play something new. And that changed in the nineteenth century. And Mendelssohn was a really big figure in that. Um, like or, like orchestras came to be more like museums. Um, playing the the tried and true classics, um, and I think you know in the twentieth century, uh, like orchestras really um, became ensconced in that, and audiences came to expect it. And I think that helps set up a kind of unhealthy situation where, um, like you're saying, uh, most people weren't hearing music of the time or. Rather, they were hearing music of the day, but um, that they were getting that through popular music. In the last 20, 30 years, it's been a real attempt to turn that around, um, which, you know, I think has, has met with some success. Is it almost a little bit like the Rolling Stones, so to speak, where they put on a concert, they want to play new stuff, but everybody else just wants to hear the old stuff. Do you feel almost stuck in that? I mean, I don't, because... Um, let me turn it around. Most of the work that I do is with groups that are focused on contemporary music um, or programs that are about contemporary music. So I don't personally feel feel stuck in that spot. I think um, a lot of orchestras do. You know, getting audiences is always a challenge. Um, getting donations is always a challenge. And there are 
there are people who um, sometimes have a lot of money and a lot of power who really want to, you know, only or mostly hear, um, like, old repertoire. Are most of the, mus- the musicians that you're that you're working with, are they full-time? Like, that's their only... That's the that's the that's the only job they're doing. Well, most of the musicians that I work with are full time musicians, but not necessarily full time with you know a single ensemble. Either they have a university job, or they have an orchestra job, or they're sort of putting it together in lots of ways. Um, meaning that you know they might do some teaching and play uh, in a couple of new music groups. Um, play some on Broadway, play in some, like, not full-time orchestras, which, you know, means that you're a little more of an entrepreneur. Uh, it also means that you're not sort of just doing one thing, um, which I think is uh, challenging for some people, but also really uh, inspiring and exciting for some people. Um, I really enjoy living a life like that, where, you know, I'm constantly talking with lots of different artists and musicians, Living in New York City, yeah. is, is being a conductor, I mean, is that pretty lucrative, or do you have to have, like, eight roommates? Um, I mean, I do fine. Uh, I feel really lucky that I have enough work, uh, knock on wood, to, uh, you know, lead a life in New York that that feels, like, uh, you know, pretty pretty comfortable. Um, I live with my boyfriend, um, a place in Brooklyn, um, you know, and I feel really lucky about that. I don't take it for granted at all, though. Um, you know, I have, I know lots of people who are older than me who've been doing this longer, um, you know, reminisce about the days when there was more work and when they, you know, took for granted that they would be able to always make a living in music. And now they can't. Now it's a lot harder. And so it's always in my mind to, you know, keep pushing and keep growing and, um, keep trying to make things happen um, because, you know, today's great opportunities may not be there tomorrow. What are people, what's people's reaction when you tell them that you're a conductor? Are they kind of fascinated by that? <laughs> yeah, often. Uh, you know, I, I live in a world of lots of musicians, but uh, certainly when I'm, you know, hanging out with people who are outside of the music world, people are often like kind of amazed by that. And I often hear people say, oh, I've never met a conductor before. What's, what's that like? Let's get to the unavoidable question. Do you like or hate the Seinfeld episode? <laughs> uh, I think it's funny. You mean like the maestro, the maestro yeah. Seinfeld episode. I don't, I don't feel like I have any particularly deep connection to that episode um, as a conductor. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's funny. You know, sometimes when I'm working with orchestras, people will call me maestro, which always cracks me up. And, um, you know, I, I always ask them, I always tell them that they shouldn't do that. And... Um, they can just call me Alan. What is the better kind of pop culture depiction of the conductor lifestyle, Whiplash or the Seinfeld episode? Um, well, Whiplash isn't about, you mean the, the, Whiplash isn't really about a conductor. I don't think there's a conductor character in Whiplash, is there? I think you've exposed me for not really knowing very much about music. <laughs> Neither of those has really anything to do with what um, my life is like or what the world I live in is like. We ask this question to everybody who does kind of a unique job. What is the ba- yeah. the, What is the best conductor-related joke? <laughs> um, oh, man. I feel like I should know more conductor-related jokes than I do. I think the one that I hear the most, and maybe the only one that I can think of right now, uh, is to see if I can get this right. 
what's the difference between a bull and an orchestra? I don't know. Bull has the horns in the front and the ass in the back. I, <laughs> yeah, I don't... Wait, I don't Did get, I get it. it. No. <laughs> what it's oh, saying I'm, is that oh, in an orchestra, oh. you have the horns in the back and the arms <laughs> in the front. Uh, that's actually once I finally got it, because initially I thought you said bowl like a fruit bowl, and I was like, wait a minute. I see. That, I now see, that's, right. see, that's actually a pretty solid joke. That's a pretty solid joke. a pretty solid joke. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. good. Um, you know, something that's fascinated me, and like we were talking about earlier, my two-year-old basically inspired inspired this whole us connecting. What is it about yeah. what is it about music that seems to inspire us so much? Like if even me knowing nothing about it, if I hear some really like a really good singer or a really good piece of music, like that'll almost bring me to tears. What is it that has such a connection with us? Yeah, man, I mean, that's a really deep question. I, I think music just has, and I don't know how much I can, I don't know that I have any secret knowledge into that. Um, so I, what I'm going to say might sort of just be saying what you just said, which is that music has this very deep um, connection to uh, our subconscious. Um, you know, music, music, music is a, connects to people on, a really deep level that um, in a way that I don't know what other art does. And there's, to me, there's, uh, you know, the music that, that I heard and loved and turned to as a kid, that stuff is like part of me in a way that, that kind of nothing else is and, and nothing else will ever be. Which is, you know, there's a kind of sadness to that too, that like no matter how much I love a composer or a piece, it's just never going to be in me in as deep a way as the music that um, I fell in love with uh, when I was a kid. Can you... And I think that speaks to just how deep, just how deeply music uh, can connect with us. Can you, I mean, obviously, you know, orchestral, am I, am I saying that right? Orchestral? What am I supposed to say there? Orchestral, usually, is what people say. Did I just make, second syllable. did I just make myself look like an idiot by saying orchestral? No, 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 you're good. Playing the music that you play, can you listen to like popular music, or do you just do you kind of hate it? No, I so I also like I, I. This is another way in which I was weird is that I didn't really grow up with popular music. My neither of my parents ever really listened to popular music, um, and I was I was a little isolated as a kid, and so. I sort of didn't grow up with pop music when most people did. Pop music has never has never been sort of my first language in a way. But part of what I've done as an artist actually is to connect with artists from pop music who are doing really uh, adventurous, imaginative, artistic things uh, and connect what they're doing with um, what's happening in my world. So, you know, like I've worked with uh, artists like Erica Badu and um, Yassine Bey, formerly known as Mosef. And, you know, I, I created a show that um, is about John Lennon and the Beatles and what they were doing in the avant-garde role of the 1960s. So it's not it's not like a five-star chef eating McDonald's kind of thing. Like you can, you you find value in it. Yeah, and also like, you know, pop music is is not one thing. 
Um, and, you know, I listen to all kinds of music all the time. Working with him and with Erica Badu, what was that like? Yeah, those are both really cool experiences. Um, with Erica, we did this project around her New America, um, New America Part One um, album. And it was a collaboration with Erica and with a composer named Ted Hearn, where we, like, really took that album and... Um, opened it up using the orchestra. Very much connected to like the soul, neo-soul funk um, stuff that's happening in Erica's music. And also trying to really engage politically in the stuff that Erica's talking about. Uh, and she was great. Like, you know, really, she's a great performer. Um, really open collaboratively um, and, you know, fun to work with. Um, she's great to work with. And then, you know, when she came into the, she's one of those personalities who just filled the room with her presence. What, what do you got coming up? What's kind of going on in your world? I just did a, sh- a really cool show that was a collaboration between my group, Alarmable Sound, and the jazz trio, Medeski, Martin, and Wood. They wrote a bunch of stuff for us, and we wrote stuff for them, and then we all played together, and there was a lot of improvisation. Uh, I'm doing a bunch of, of new work with my ensemble, with Alarmable Sound. We, we do a lot of theatrical work, and so we have a number of... Uh, new collaborations that are that are underway. We just did a collaboration with this very cool Philadelphia-based electronic artist named King Britt. Um, part of what I do is run a new music ensemble, um, which is Alarm Will Sound, and um, our, one of our members, our horn player and also composer, um, Matt Marks, died this past year. And he was a real, like, he was a big leader in the contemporary music world. And the... Um, uh, a real inspiration for me and for a lot of people. And so it's been a huge loss. And we're doing a show in St. Louis in a few weeks where we're taking a bunch of the music that he created for us um, and left behind and and uh, making a show out of it. Last question, and I may be reaching a little bit yeah. on and I may be reaching a little bit on this one, but I think that people would have this perspective perspective or perception is the word that I eventually found that you know, conductors and people in orchestras are very kind of high society, very sophisticated. Is there anything that you have that people would be really surprised to find out that you're into? Like, you really like monster trucks or something like that. <laughs> I really like Star Trek. Does that count? It doesn't because Star Wars is clearly the better <laughs> franchise. Oh, man. I think this interview's over. <laughs> Wait, are we... Are we are, are you talking? Are you talking new Star Trek? Are you talking old, like con Star Trek? I mean, I for me, for me, like Star Trek is uh, the original series and the Next Generation. I think that's where my that's where my heart really got got Star Trek eyes. I really love Star Trek, and um, I think I love Star Trek for what it was trying to do um, for its vision of the future. Which, all right, so the hardest question of all, then, in that term, you go in Patrick Stewart, you go in William Shatner. Oh, I'm a big Patrick Stewart fan. I want to thank Alan Pearson so much for joining us. If you want to connect with him, or if you want to find out any of the different events or concerts that Alarm Will Sound has coming up, we have linked to him on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. All right, so now let's go ahead and give John Shaw a call. He's actually pretty motivated, and I'm not really entirely sure why. That, one, <laughs> that was pretty. 
My, fa- my favorite ones that you do are when it fills me with laughter and anger at the same time. <laughs> I mean, you have to at least have seen those commercials and know what I'm referencing. I actually have no idea. I think they're Cricket Wireless commercials, and it's like these little... Uh, I forget the toys when we were younger, but it's, they're, they're like sponge, like spongy type things. And they have all like those little elastic bands that come off. I, I don't know. Anyways, these things, they answer the phone and they say hi and bye. And it's hilarious. Yeah. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, that's fair. That's, that's fair. So. Are you generally, like, are you susceptible to advertising? Like, if you see something in an ad, will you then go do it, or do you generally ignore it? Uh, I mean, I I usually ignore something that has to do with advertising. I mean, I'm one of these people that like to think that if I want something, I'll do the research. Though, I'm not against, like, getting sucked into an ad, but it's very rare. What about food, though? I feel like food can be pretty effective. Not maybe for the place that they're advertising it, but for the type of food. Like, oh, chili dog does sound good. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think we've all been there. Uh, some of us more than others. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess so. But if we're going like on that, I mean, there are several times, you know, where you're just sitting there and it's like, oh, pizza from Domino's. That sounds fantastic right now. Not that I order the pizza, but I, I think about it, and then I usually have six hamburgers to supplement. Are you <laughs> – what what is something What is something that you try to do consistently but consistently fail at? Whew. Uh, that's – I mean, I don't fail at much, so that's that's a tough one. I would say if if we're doing real talk, the constant struggle has always been like maintaining a good like diet. Yeah, I think that's pretty I think that's pretty standard. I am terrible at that. And like there's no reason why I should be terrible. I just am terrible at it. It's not like I crave bad food or like I have to have red meat 7 days a week. It's just for some reason I'm I just suck at sticking to it like a diet plan well i mean as we've mentioned many times on this podcast you're a 90 percent guy like i feel that you probably do really well and then you just have six hamburgers or go for four chili dogs <laughs> or or as someone pointed out to me uh as you mentioned in the past i'm about 25 pounds away from being able to wear shorts permanently <laughs> you're not 25 <laughs> pounds away you're like it's you're ten to fifteen. Be honest about it. <laughs> no, no, I've lost a little bit the last couple of weeks, so I, I'm up to twenty or twenty five. I think. How much do you actually weigh right now? That's irrelevant to anyone. I will just put a number on it. Why? Why are you sensitive about it? Just put a number on it. Because I, I, I don't want the entire world to know how much I weigh. See, I don't quite get that. Like, I don't get that if you're noticeably heavier. If you're noticeably heavier, it's not like you're fooling anybody. It's not like you're going to say 220 and people are going to go, oh, wow. Or if you go 230 and like, no idea, no way, dude. I mean, no no one no one ever believes me, so it's fine. Well, then tell us what it is. 
It's 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 none of your business. Over two fifty. Uh yes. Over two seventy five. At one point, yes. Can you just get to three hundred to say you hit three hundred? <laughs> uh, I tell you what, I might have been going that way at the end of last year, but I I have been on a steady decline ever since uh, about three weeks ago. So I'm um, I'm all right with never saying that number or anywhere near that number ever again. I'm willing to sponsor a contest to get you to three hundred, and I would donate. <laughs> I don't know how much, but I would actually continue to donate it as you pass 300. Like 301, I would donate something. 302. No, I'm never doing that. I, I, and I'm not saying this towards anyone else that that weighs whatever you weigh. But when I I saw this number on the scale, I I literally just wanted to run out in front of a car. Can you just tell us what it is? No, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'll, I'll tell you where I'm at now, but I will not tell you where I started. How about that? Okay. Or how about this? Would you rather know what I started at or what I'm at now? You're only getting one or the other. Well, what you started at? That's easy. 284. Yeah, that's, that's it's getting up there. Yeah, that's getting up there. Especially so. at your height of 5'5". Five, five. Uh, no, that's you. I'm, I'm a good 6'2". You are not. You absolutely are not. But you know what, what? What I've always found interesting is a lot of people try to give me a hard time about how tall I am, but I'm one of the very few people that actually doesn't lie about how tall they are. Well, I mean, you own uh, you own most things, and your height is definitely one of them. So I give you credit on that. Yeah, most pe- I know very many people who are the same height as me, but claim to be five eleven. Like, no, you're not. You're the same height as me. I, I just love in my wedding photos. Like, you can tell who you are because you are a clear four inches shorter than everybody else. Well, I mean, first of all, yeah, that's probably true. Second, it is true. Let's let's get to the other question that I had to you. What is something that you do on a consistent basis, but you should actually be better at? Oh man, I mean that. There's that's too many things to name. I mean, like, are we going household chores? Are we going like something something like, that you legitimately care about? Um, okay, I'll I'll go with mine first, just to give you an example. I like to go rock climbing, and I've been rock climbing for probably five years. But considering how long I've been doing it and how interested I am in it, I'm surprisingly not very good at it. <laughs> I mean, the, the quick, I mean, the earliest, like the fastest thing that comes to my mind upon that example is like playing basketball. Like I'm, I'm horrific at basketball, but I try. How hard do you try? Like on a scale of one to 10? Oh, I mean, I try, I give it a 10 every time I'm out there. Yeah, you're not very good. For people who haven't heard this story, I once beat John 1 to 20, and he had sustained an injury in the process. I feel like I wasn't even trying most of the time then. However, you did break my finger pretty good. Crossed him up. <laughs> but I didn't fall. And, I, and if I remember right, I got the ball. You just, I don't know, I kicked it out of bounds or something. I don't remember. Only after I started laughing at you. Did you know that a woolly mammoth 
has surprisingly, or had, because they're all extinct, had surprisingly small ears that they used to conserve heat. <laughs> I, love, I love how we're going dinosaurs uh, uh, this episode. A woolly mammoth so, is not a dinosaur. Yeah, it is not. How, what is it then? It is a dinosaur. It's a prehistoric animal. No, it's not a prehistoric animal. It was alive as early as 4,000 years ago. There's a big difference between the dinosaurs that died out 65 million years ago and something that died out 4,000 years ago. That's not a prehistoric animal. Uh, okay, I, I, you're telling me that the last woolly mammoth that walked the face of the earth walked it 4,000 years ago. Yeah. When was the last, so you're telling me the last dinosaur that walked the earth was 65 million years ago. Yes. And you expect me to believe in dinosaurs. I don't know why you don't. We had this conversation, like there's, we've, they've found the bones. Are you going to tell me you don't believe in woolly mammoths? I've. I mean, I believe more in woolly mammoths than I do something that happened 65 million years ago. But they it's the same basic principle. Like, they found the bones of the woolly mammoth, and you believe in the woolly mammoth. They found the bones of the dinosaurs. You don't believe in the dinosaurs. There's no difference. Can we get, can we get a dinosaurologist on? We already did. No, not, not, not some guy that goes in. I want somebody He's that's a paleontologist. Like He's literally nah, the guy. He, he, he doesn't count. What's his name? Cliff? Levi Schinkel. <laughs> exactly. I don't trust anybody with the first name of Levi. Is that? Give me your top three names that you don't trust the person just based on your name on their name. Levi, Mark, and Nick. See, I would go uh, Travis. I put a Travis pretty high up there, and I'm not trusting you. Of <laughs> of Lance, I'm not trusting a Lance. Also a Bethany. I don't trust a Bethany. <laughs> Is that because you broke your heart in the fourth grade? No, it was later, eighth grade, I believe. <laughs> you just didn't, weren't quite up to her stature? I, I mean, just, but like, think about it. Do you trust someone named Bethany? I'm not entirely sure. I think I've known one Bethany, and she was a a bartender at a nightclub I used to go to. Did you trust her? Actually, now I'm thinking back about it. I'm pretty sure she took advantage of us several times. No, no, I, I don't. I don't trust Bethany's. How about a Travis? Uh, I'm indifferent on Travises. I, I don't really care one way or the other. I've, I've, I haven't had great experience with Travises. I feel like a lot of the Travises that I have known have just not been entirely trustworthy. I've known a lot of Derricks. I don't generally like a Derrick. But I don't feel like it's because they're not trustworthy. Are there any names that you do trust? I think is the better question. I generally trust, not just because my son is named this, but I'll trust a Logan. Any kind Why? of... Why? Because Hugh Jackman portrayed him in the X-Men series? Don't, don't you talk bad about Hugh Jackman in front of me, son. <laughs> a Tom? You, I trust you don't a, know about the birth sheriff, son. I trust a Tom if it's spelled T-O-M. I don't generally trust a T-H-O-M. Well, that, that's, that's kind of uh, segregating, if you will, Toms. Because aren't most, like, European Thomases or Toms have the T-H-O-M? It's kind of like the Jeff Jeff thing, but I trust a Jeff G 
E-O-F-F, more than I trusted Jeff, J-E-F-F. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go through the hassle to spell your name with extra letters when you don't have to, you can have my trust. Yeah, I think that I would agree with that. If your name is, is spelled a little bit extra, like, I, I'm down with it. I'm okay with that. Unless, like, so sometimes John is spelled J-O-N, J-O-H-N, or J-H-O-N. Who is J-H-O-N? I've never heard of that. There's, I mean, it's more like a Latino, like, you know, surname kind of Are you of talking about Juan? No, I know how to spell Juan. Like, there's been several baseball players with the name of Johnny. It's J-H-O-N-N-Y, but when they shorten it, it's John, which is J-H-O-N. Wait a minute. Spell it again. J-A... J-H-O-N. J-H-O-N. Yes. Yeah, that's probably like a Hispanic thing, right? Yeah, that's what I said. They no. freaked out on me. Well, I thought you were trying to say that like some red-haired, green-eyed guy is walking around like that. Like, I don't trust that guy at all. <laughs> I only don't trust people with red hair and freckles. That's it. <laughs> that's I've always been fascinated by the fact that the Spanish language actually, like, in Spanish, if you're blonde or brown or black hair, they say that you have brown, blonde, or black hair, but you are redheaded. Like, they recognized early on that a redhead was an entirely different sort of thing. <laughs> uh, I mean, I, <laughs> I think we should have a whole show devoted to uh to to gingers and red-haired people. I don't really know very many to be honest with you. I mean, I I I my brother is a ginger. <laughs> oh yeah, he is. <laughs> I, I I have one that's blood for God's sakes. I don't know where it came from, but he's here. Do you know a woolly mammoth would eat as much as 400 pounds of food a day and would sometimes spend as much as 20 hours a day looking for food? Well, that's not that's that's a lie. That's a straight up lie. You know it. No, I mean that's what Wikipedia said. I don't know how they could have possibly known that, but I mean that does really make a lot of sense. Like, how would you know how long it's been looking for food if no one alive has ever seen one? Yeah, when does it sleep? When does it eat? When does it work out? Well, I mean, number one, if you're a woolly mammoth, you obviously don't need to work out. You've the biggest thing around. It's not like you're going to be lifting. You don't have to get out there and do some squats. And I would imagine that it slept, it slept at night and was awoke during the day. By the way, I, I, I want to get back to something you talked about earlier about advertising. Can, can we just relish in the fact for a second that I almost have you four to one on people who would rather have me sell them something than you? <laughs> for, for people who don't know, we put up a, fa- a, a poll on our Facebook page about which one of us looked more, which one of us, just judging by looks alone, would you rather have sell you a mattress, and you're winning by about 80% to 20. Which I, I feel like is a microcosm of our entire life. Though, the one person you think would be on my side, my father, I believe, voted for you. <laughs> yeah, he always he always votes for me on everything. Basically, could you just admit to the fact that your dad would rather have me as a son? I'm I'm pretty sure he's probably said that to me once or twice. 
he looks he looks at me as the son that he wished he had. Yeah, that he, you know, if he could adopt anybody and, uh, you know, leave me on a, <laughs> a firehouse, you know, doorstep, it would be you. Every once in a while, he'll send me a Facebook message complaining about you. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me at, what, at all. What are you doing where you're sometimes talking into the phone and sometimes not? Uh, I, my voice goes in and out. I don't know what to tell you. Okay. Well, don't drift off because you can hear the difference in the audio. I'm not, I'm not drifting off. I'm right here. You were doing something. I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Do you have a fast five this week? Or have you been too busy getting prepped for the Royal Rumble? First off, I do have a fast five. It is not wrestling related, believe it or not. However, I, th- I mean, is is Phoenix not the place to be tomorrow? Is has the WWE not brought in mi- millions of dollars to that poor city? Well, I mean, Phoenix does pretty well. They have the Super Bowl sometimes. I would say they're doing all right without it. No, it's it's the biggest thing to happen in Phoenix since JFK went there in the '60s. I'm sure. I'm not even gonna. Anyways, t- I'm not even gonna touch that. So my uh, my fast five is a two parter this week and next. So wait a minute, week does that go- mean that there's ten of them? Yes, but we're gonna do five and five, and it's gonna be focused on the Super Bowl and Tom Brady. Oh God! Because I, <sighs> this could be the last time that I I get to admire and and adore Tom Brady out loud. Uh, in regards to a Super Bowl, are you? Do you have me on speakerphone? Uh, I do not. Because you're doing something where I can clearly tell that you're backing away from the phone and then coming closer to it. Uh, this is how I've had you for the last twelve minutes. Hmm. Well, it's we've been talking for eighteen minutes. So what were you doing for sixteen of them or six of them? Eating six hamburgers. <laughs> All right, let's hear this awful top five about Tom Brady and the Super no, Bowl. So I, I'm going to switch it up. So the this five, well, I actually you know what it would be half and half. I want to start with a, a, a fast five fact that maybe some don't know, but when Phil Simms won the Super Bowl with the New York Giants back in the early 90s, the NFL paid him, paid him, $75,000 to say he was going to Disneyland. Oh, I thought that was always an advertisement for Disney World. Well, I mean, I mean, technically it is. Like, it is an advertisement, and he was paid to say it. But the NFL paid him, not Disney? Uh, no, I'm sorry. Disney paid him. I'm sorry. It was Disney that paid him. Oh, well, yeah. No, that's, yeah, I was that's really. Ridi- that's ridiculous to me. No, I mean that's free advertising. That's like the greatest advertising, really. Did you know seventy five that- grand to say? I, I, I mean, I guess I would say anything for seventy five grand, but did- I, I didn't know that he was paid by Disney to say that. How did you not know that? You think they all just coincidentally did that every single year? I, I thought it might have been just something that started, like, on down the line. I, I I didn't know. Something I didn't know. I was surprised. I can't believe you didn't know that. 
I can't believe that you thought that they were just doing this for free. They would just slowly turn to the camera and say, now I'm going to Disney World. What? Here's the thing. Think about this in terms of that. Like these are professional athletes, professional athletes who have all the money that you can imagine, all the women that you can imagine, and they've just won the Super Bowl and can go anywhere without any kind of questions asked, and they're going to go to the Disney World right after that? Like, no, they are not going to Disney World. I mean, I would think that several of them would want to, but who knows? Who knows? None of them want to. I would actually go ahead and go out on a limb and say that not one of the people who has ever said, I'm going to Disney World, actually had any plans in their mind to actually want to go to Disney World. I guarantee you Peyton Manning wanted to go. He seems like a guy that likes Disney World. I don't know. I feel like he's more of a Nashville kind of guy. <laughs> like a Dollywood? Yeah, he's probably going to Dollywood or Six Flags. If you're an adult, you don't want to go to Disney World. I dread the day that my son asked me to go to Disney World because that's I'm not going. Six Flags, maybe, but not Disney World. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. I, I dread the day that my daughter wants me to go to Disney World with her. I don't want to stand in two-hour-long lines. Like, who wants to do that? Also, I probably should bring up that this episode is sponsored by Disney World. <laughs> wow, we moved up in the world. Well, we're going to move right back down after this. Back to Captain D's, huh? Yeah, the Captain D's. Captain D's will never let you down. Why don't they do that at the Super Bowl? They should have, like... A, a downward scale of like the quarterback says he's going to Disney World and then every other person should gradually tell them, tell you where they're going until you get to like Captain D's or like I'm going to Domino's. I'm going to go to I, I like. I think we need to get a, like a real sponsor and have, have like a, a, a sweepstakes giveaway and the uh, giveaway is to Captain D's. <laughs> Someday Captain D's will acknowledge our existence. Like, we'll pay for your Uber and we'll buy your food. The one, like, the kicker is just, I'm getting an Uber to the nearest strip club. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I, I hope they're better in Phoenix and than they are where I live. Not that I've ventured to many, but I just hope they're better. I don't think that Phoenix is known for I believe that Florida, specifically Tampa, is known for its strip clubs. And Atlanta. Actually, Atlanta is known for their strip clubs as well. <laughs> uh, what about the halftime show? What? How do you feel about that? I mean, I know it's not Super Bowl week yet, but I can't believe the Super Bowl halftime show is Maroon 5, Travis Scott, and the guy from Outcast, a big boy. First of, to me, Big Boy is the is the best act there. I don't know that much about Travis Scott, but to me, Maroon Five is just a waste of everyone's time. It's just like generic music. It, they're essentially the Nickelback of pop music, right? Like nobody cares. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't buy, and I don't know Adam Levine personally, but I don't buy like his his story. Like I don't I don't think when like I see him on TV. No, I, he, apparently he came from very wealthy, like his parents are very wealthy. He's never had like this kind of struggle from the bottom kind of thing that people would like to believe. Like, no, that's not the case. It's like this whole thing with Taylor Swift when she tried to be this like sweet country girl, but in reality, her dad was a hedge fund man, manager in New York City. 
Like it's all just marketing. Yeah, I mean it's yeah it's. But then you have poor Madonna, who's just a virgin. Still, after all this time. <laughs> Still. <laughs> well, all right, so here, here's a Tom Brady one. Oh God. Uh, there have been 47 quarterbacks that have been taken in the uh, the first round since the 2000 draft. They have exactly as many Super Bowl passes or touchdowns as Tom Brady has. Tom Brady, in my mind, is a system quarterback. Did you just hear what I said? There have been 47 first-round quarterbacks since the year 2000. System quarterback. And he has as many passes in the Super Bowl in almost 20 years as every one of them have combined. <laughs> Tom Brady is excellent at running the system that Bill Belichick, probably the greatest coach in all of football history, designed. You take Brady out of that system, he's not nearly as good. But so that's that's such a common argument. Like that that would be saying, I mean, Steve Young, Joe Montana, Terry Bradshaw, they wouldn't be as great as they were if they weren't in that kind of system. Yeah, I would agree with that. No. Okay, I mean. I, I don't think, but I don't think that should be something that holds like accountability to like Tom Brady or anybody. Like, I mean, he, so he's great in that system. Like, there are several quarterbacks that fail. Who failed in that system? Because every quarterback that has replaced him, albeit briefly, has looked like the next Tom Brady. That's why I've never understood the argument that he's such a great quarterback when anybody who comes in in his place also looks like the next great quarterback. And then goes somewhere so, else and does nothing. Like that doesn't make any sense to me. And I, and when one of my friends in particular is going to light me up for this because I don't know the statistics like he knows them. However, I, I still think like you have to perform. I mean, yes, he he might be in a system that is great for him, but like you still have to go out there and perform and win. Yeah, but that. A lot of other quarterbacks, I believe Bill Belichick himself was recently quoted saying that he could have done the same thing or get to the Super Bowl with 15 other quarterbacks in the league. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't recall ever seeing that or reading that, but I'll have, to, I'll have to go take a look. Yeah, take a look. That'll change your whole perception of Tom Brady. All right, well, here. The next one is uh, another Super Bowl-themed one. And apparently in 2014, uh, and I didn't know this, but Weird Al Yankovic had been booked to perform the halftime show. No. And there had been a petition that had been started, or that was started, and it got over 100,000 signatures in less than a week. And they delivered it to the uh, Super Bowl committee, and he was taken off of the halftime show because of that petition. Oh, there was a petition to get him off of it? I would think there was a, would be a petition to get him on it. No, there was uh, there there was one to get him on, but then there was another one to get him off. Well, which one had more signatures? The one to get him off. <laughs> Here's my thing with Weird Al Yankovic. I don't know how you could possibly, like, could you, how could you put on an album and just listen to it straight through an hour of that? I mean, I, I, I think it's garbage. I mean, parody is funny, but like, yeah, I agree with you. I, I, I couldn't sit there and listen to like an hour of him just doing parodies. 
to me, it's a little bit like speed metal or death metal. Like, all right, once one song every once in a while, like, all right, that's cool. I'm down with it. But I don't know how you could listen to that for two straight hours. You know, I learned something today. I doubt that. You know, there's a category of of rap called mumble rap. Yeah, that's pretty well known. Mumble rap. I don't know how you don't know these really obvious things, like the Disney World was a paid-for advertisement, or that mumble Mumble rap. rap. Yeah, it's been like Like, the big thing for the last three years. Stupid is what it is. I listen to some of it. It's stupid. I don't, that's that's the that's all I can say. It's dumb. Okay, moving on. <laughs> all right, staying away from that one. Uh, th- this is how crazy inflation has gotten. We're going with a money thing here. Super Bowl one, the average cost of a ticket was twelve dollars. Dang. Last year, and I I don't know if I believe this, but this is what Forbes says. The average cost of a ticket was $3,200 to the Super Bowl. So the the Super Bowl a couple of years ago was in Phoenix, where I was living at the time. And I went to the events and different stuff like that. And it seemed like the Super Bowl would be a really great time if you had a lot of money. Otherwise, it seemed <laughs> like it would be awful. <laughs> so were you, were you one of them that, that did not have a lot of money to enjoy? Of course not. I didn't have anything. I wasn't spending $3,200 on a ticket to go see a game that's way better on TV. Once again, maybe this is something that I that I should have known, but just to see like that number in front of me and how much that has risen, it's just it's it's an insane amount of uh, of money. Yeah, it's just crazy. Uh, and then the last one I have is back to Tom Brady. Um, hold on, I got to turn the light on. My eyes are not what I thought they were. Are you serious? I'm reading my own damn handwriting. Oh, oh wait! Uh, he has more. He has more playoff victories than uh, John Elway and Peyton Manning combined. So think about that when you think about how great they are, and how in a class all by himself Tom Brady already is. Think about if they had Peyton Manning in that system, he would have destroyed those things. I mean, he was he was in a very not similar type like the way it's run. But he was in a very like similar kind of offense in Indiana, and he only won one Super Bowl. No, he won two Super Bowls. He won with the Colts and with the Denver Broncos. And to me, the fact, and this is a fact, well, that basically— he only won one with Indiana or Indianapolis. The, one that, the fact to me that seals this argument is that when Tom Brady isn't there, the Patriots are still basically the same team. When Peyton Manning was gone from the Colts, they went 2-14, and 14, and there was a petition or there was some movement to name him the most valuable player because his team was nothing without him, while the Patriots are basically still the same. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how to... How... <laughs> you've got nothing. I, I, I can't say anything to that. Yeah, you, I mean, you've got no answer because it's essentially those are the facts. Like, Brady's out, the Patriots are pretty much the same. Peyton Manning went out, and the team collapsed. I mean, but it's it's hard to say, really. I mean, he, he hasn't been out, like, a, a full season. He, he had that one injury season where he got hurt the first game, and they didn't do anything in the playoffs. They still made it to the playoffs, though, right? 
Yeah, but... So they basically did the same, whereas Peyton Manning was out, his team was 2-14. and 14. I mean, I'm, I can't argue with the numbers, but yep. uh, uh, the changing, changing the question, who's the better Manning, Peyton or Eli? Well, that's easy, Peyton. Same amount, same amount of Super Bowl rings. That doesn't mean anything. I hate it when sports guys do that thing about like, oh, it only matters how many rings they got. That's the stupidest argument ever. I mean, but it it, it, it all depends on what you you know base, you know how how people are and if they're good or not at things. You know, like what you base greatness upon. Okay, numbers or who would you say? Who is going to basketball? Who's the better basketball player, Robert Ory or LeBron James? I mean, that's. <laughs> I feel like you're setting me up here, but I mean, it's LeBron by far. But he, Robert Ory, has more rings. That's why I think that argument about well, who won on a team sport is just stupid. Well, I, 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 I like Eli. I don't think he was. He's the better quarterback, but. I mean, if we're looking at a Super Bowl, and I have to decide between Eli and Peyton, I don't know who I would pick. Well, I mean, you would pick Peyton, and the fact that you would think about picking Eli is the reason that you didn't know about them going to Disney World being paid for. He's won two Super Bowls. He beat he beat the eighteen and zero Patriots. You know what? Leon Lett won three Super Bowls. Oh my. God, don't act like you know who Leon Lett is. Leon Lett is one of my favorite athletes. And my favorite athletes of all time are Leon Lett, because he once got pat- caught twice with like 400 pounds of weed, Rick Ankeel when he was a pitcher and he used to throw the ball into the stands, and Purvis Pasco. Purvis Pasco. Oh, my gosh. But for people who don't know who Purvis Pasco is, Purvis Pasco is a K-State basketball player who one time – caught the ball with three seconds left, threw up one of his hands, and then just straight ran down the court excited about the win. And the ref just looked at him as like, that's traveling. And then the other team got the ball, and they hit a three right in the face of Purvis Pasco. <laughs> that has to be one of the – like, I don't think we see that enough in the sports world. Like, that is – such a great moment that does not get replayed enough. Oh, if you can find a replay of it, it's the greatest three seconds of basketball in the world. <laughs> and the guy's name was Purvis. Yeah, and the guy drilled it, like drilled it right in his face and banked it off the glass to win the game. And then Purvis just like head down, so ashamed of himself. It's ridiculous, man. All right, are you ready for our top five? Let's do it. Okay, so our top five this week is top, top five, five wrestlers. If you can go top five wrestlers, I'll give you 30 seconds. Give me top five wrestlers. No, I, let, let's just keep going. I thought I got you that time. Do you want? Uh, you have 20 seconds left if you can give me your top five wrestlers. Uh, in 15. no particular order, Steve Austin, Bret Hart, 10. Razor, Ram- Razor Ramon. Five uh, seconds. The Rock and Undertaker. No mention of Jimmy Superfly Snooker. <laughs> Brutus no, the Barber no. Beefcake. Lex no, Luthor. Not. Scott Steiner. Scott Steiner. Definitely X-Pa- not. X-Pac. 
All right, continue, continue. I thought I'd get, I thought I'd get you. Uh, so our top five for this week is top five Super Bowl snacks. What is your number five? Nachos. You're, that's ridiculous. You're an idiot. Why? That's way higher. Uh, no, not, not I mean, not on my list. Well, your list is wrong. It's just wrong. <laughs> yeah. I mean, nachos are a great snack, but I mean, you know, I, I don't go to a Super Bowl party like thinking about how great the nachos are going to be. There are other food, which are which is on my list, that are higher because I like it more at parties, at, specifically during the Super Bowl. Oh, I thought you said Hardee's. I was like, Hardee's doesn't have nachos. <laughs> What's your number five? Pizza rolls. Pizza rolls are not it's what you're not pizza gonna go. You don't like pizza rolls? No, pizza rolls are like snacks you have like when you're in college, it trying to get jiggy with a uh, a girl, and you're like, here, let's have a snack. You were convincing me up until you said jiggy. <laughs> yeah, I I, <laughs> I didn't know what word to say there. I was trying to be politically correct, and I don't even think jiggy is a. No, it's just awful. Just truly awful. Yeah, it's pretty bad, isn't it? My number four is popcorn. God, what are we having? Like a like a fucking vegan Super Bowl party? No, I like popcorn. It's good. You get some good cheese popcorn, man. That shit's awesome. All right. Anyways, my number four is buffalo chicken dip. How is that an appetizer? It's just the dip. You obviously have never had buffalo chicken dip before. I've had yours. It's overrated. Did I, did I make it that day? I was pretty pretty inebriated that day. Yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> you, it's you, gotten a lot better. You, I can tell you that. John it talked it up a lot, and then I was like, this is just buffalo wing sauce, man. Like, like, <laughs> remember how I had like planned for like 15 people, and two people showed up? My wife and I still still laugh at John's first Super Bowl party, which basically just ended with him in a Tom Brady jersey and a massive amount of food all around him by himself, silently weeping at the loss of the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, man. That was a good time, though. I, I got pretty inebriated. Yeah, I still remember how sad you were. My number, <laughs> uh, go your number three. Uh, so my my number three is uh, like uh, I don't know what you call them, but I call them like little weenies. Yeah, I'll bet you do. <laughs> I I knew you were gonna say that. They're they're called little weenies. They're gonna be called pigs in a blanket. Um, when you have your little weenie, do you generally smoke the little weenie before you eat it, or how do you like your little weenies? Because I know you're a man who likes little weenies. I, you know, I know you always have one little weenie with you at all times. Well, I, I well, you know, I, I don't, I don't like my little weenie to, uh, to be cold. I like to get it warmed up first. What's maybe the get a little, maybe have it start perspiring a little bit, and then I like to stick it in my mouth. <laughs> What's the most little weenies that you've ever fit in your mouth? Oh. <laughs> Probably six or seven. <laughs> oh boy. Oh. Geez. Okay. Well, when you 
when you have that many when you have that many little weenies in your mouth do you feel do you feel proud about that or do you feel slightly like do you feel humiliated no no usually if i have that many in my mouth there's a there's quite a crowd watching me <laughs> All right. Well, this uh, this is completely took a shit. So that's good. <laughs> My number three is dip. I would go specifically seven layer dip, but I am not a fan of just don't just show up with fucking salsa and guacamole. That's bullshit. <laughs> Why? I would actually argue that I'm not a fan, big fan of the seven uh, layer dip myself, but. Uh... I, I like a good guac or a good salsa, Don't, especially if it's hot salsa. I knew you were going to say guac. When people say guac, it pisses me off. I can't – just say the fucking word. Don't say guac. I'm sorry. It's just, it's called guac. I get No, it's not. It's called guacamole, which, by the way, why are avocados gross and guacamole delicious? Why, why are avocados gross? Yeah, I don't like avocados, but I love guacamole. Yeah, why why don't you like avocados? I don't it know. Makes no sense. If yeah, you don't no, like avocados, but you like guacamole. I know. It doesn't make any. I, I completely agree. I do not like avocados by themselves. I love guacamole. Are there lots of things that you're confused about, Nick? Yeah, as to why you didn't know that Disney World was a paid advertisement, as why you think that Tom Brady is a good avocado, and why you spend so much time smoking little weenies. Well, the only thing I can confirm is is me loving loving to eat some little weenies. I can't help it. Did you do your number three already? <laughs> yeah, it was little weenies. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, you just you gotta get with it, man. You it's gotta... easy. It's easy to forget a little weenie. Okay, what's your number two then? Uh, pizza. How is that a fucking snack? And how are you bagging on pizza rolls? And you're going to say pizza rolls isn't an appetizer and pizza... First off, there's a, there's a big fucking difference between pizza and pizza rolls. And you better believe it. I completely agree. One of them is an appetizer. One of them is not. Well, I mean, we, we're doing Super Bowl foods. I mean, and uh, everything that you bring to a Super Bowl party is more or less an appetizer. Yeah, except for pizza. Okay, well then, then you might as well put nachos that aren't an appetizer. Well, nacho, I, th- I consider nachos to be more of an appetizer than I would pizza. Okay, I, I'm saying when it comes specifically to special events or events or parties, most things can be classified as an appetizer, that being pizza. No, but pizza is, is the only, I would, I agree with the idea that you're going with there. But I would disagree in the case of pizza. I don't think pizza is ever an appetizer. All right. What's your number two there, Casanova? Buffalo wings. Okay. All right. That that I have no problem with. Are you – did you say buffalo wings or do you say chicken wings? Buffalo chicken wings. See, that's stupid. I don't know why you need to say both of them. It's either chicken wings or buffalo wings. You need to say buffalo chicken wings. Hey, guess what my number one is? If you're going to say, like, brisket, I'm going to be pissed off. No, no. Buffalo chicken wings. Wait a minute. What? My number one are buffalo chicken wings. What was your number two? Pizza. 
Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I got confused. I thought you were trying to say that your number two was buffalo wings and your number one was buffalo chicken wings. No. No, man, there's nothing. God, there's, sometimes there's nothing better than a good, like, buffalo chicken wing. No, there isn't. They're delicious, especially when mixed with alcohol. But you have to eat it right. I, I get really annoyed when people don't eat chicken wings right. What is the way that you do it? Because I would imagine, if, if if I would imagine, let's let me, if I could for a second, I would imagine that you eat a chicken wing the same way that you smoke a little weenie, which is you put the whole thing in your mouth, clamp your mouth down a little bit, get your tongue around the base of it, and then just kind of slide it out of your mouth. Uh, you are, you're, you're just a jokester, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not anything like that. Not Not at all. It's. You have to break the bone, up, the the outer bone off first, and then you eat that piece, and then you eat the base piece. What if you got one of the bigger ones, though, the ones that doesn't break apart, like you got the leg piece or whatever it is? Oh, like the drumstick type? Yeah. I don't know. I Sometimes I'll stick that entirely in my mouth and suck it dry. <laughs> oh, boy. Well... If I ever wanted a career in anything other than being a janitor, I just fuck myself. Well, no, I think you've set yourself up for an entirely other career. (laughs) All right, well, uh, what's your number one? Wait, no, I don't really have a problem with – so the way that I eat it is I'm going to take one big bite. I'm going to take the bite out of the meatiest part first. Then I'm probably going to take one more bite. Then I might go ahead and split the bones, but I'm not going to split it off from the bat. No, I, I, I split it off the bat right from the beginning. That's that's not – no, that's wrong. No, I'm pretty sure you're wrong. No, because you get more crap all over your hands that way. Oh, are you afraid of getting a little dirty? <laughs> I don't want to have stuff – you afraid of getting, going out playing in, the, in, in dirt? No, it's just efficiency. You know, you remind me of the kind of kid that bitches and moans when you were younger – to go like hang out in Scott's pool, and then when you get in Scott's pool and you're with the other kids, and you know you're ha- they're having a good time, they're splashing water. You're the first little asshole that that starts yelling, like don't get me, don't don't spray me, guys. Like I'm just in the pool to get cool. <laughs> Number one, I was fortunate enough to have a pool at my house. Number two, I always made fun of people who got mad. At other people for splashing them because what's why are you mad? Like don't get me wet when I'm in the pool. I'm, I'm just saying, if you were in my pool and you did that, I would purposely cannonball on top of you. That'd be fine. I appreciate a good cannonball. <laughs> you just remind me of that. You remind me of the kind of guy that we'd be playing laser tag and you would hide in the corner. I was never fortunate enough to play laser tag until like five seconds. And then I would go by you like as the leader, think I'm think I'm about to win, and you would zap me once, and I would lose, and I would be your only zap, and that's all you would care about. Yeah, actually, that's exact. If I was playing specifically with you, that is exactly what I would do. I, I know. I I trust me. Someday we are going to have a battle of laser tag, and it's going to be epic or paintball, one or the other. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, but see, my problem with the way that you eat chicken wings, probably the same way that you eat little weenies, is that that's why when you stick it in your mouth, you get shit all over your face when it's done. 
That's why stuff is just flying in your face all the time when you're eating little weenies. <laughs> I'm not. I'm done with this conversation. <laughs> okay. Do you want my number one? As long as, as long as it does not involve anything flying out of my mouth or going into my mouth, yes. Nachos. Of course they're not. Like I, I don't mind a, a good nacho, but like, are we talking just straight nachos with like just cheese and beans? No. This okay. fucking Afghanistan. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Do, do they not have regular nachos in Afghanistan? That's a good question, actually. I would wonder where, in terms of, like, the development of countries, where the nachos stop. Like, where are you no <laughs> where do you no longer getting, like, nachos with meat and guacamole and sour cream? I feel like that's first world. And then maybe, maybe around third world is where you're just getting, like, some chips and that crappy cheese that they have. Oh, my God. <laughs> I feel like we're going to start a, uh, like a, like, a global war here over nachos, which might not be the worst thing. I don't know. I would imagine that probably there are a lot of countries that don't have good nachos. <laughs> I mean, I, I I would probably do uh, – how many countries are there, like 211 or something, 212? That's probably completely wrong, but we'll go ahead and say yes. I would say that 85% of the countries do not have good nachos. No, see, I wouldn't go that far. I would say probably – I'd say only probably 20% of countries don't have good nachos. No, I would say 80, 85 for sure. That's way too high. It's way too by the time by the time you get done sorting out all the cultural things and just get down to the nachos, it's probably 85%. Yeah, I think it's the opposite. I think that if you reverse it, that's basically what I think. Now I'm hungry as shit. Well, I can give you some little weenies if you want. That's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of the Profoundly Pointless Podcast. I don't really know which one is going to be easier for us coming up next episode, if the Patriots win or if the Patriots lose. Because whatever happens, John is going to have to talk about it incessantly. I guess I'd rather have them win so that we can all just move on and he can continue his love affair with Tom Brady and quiet. I'm sorry, but if you wear another man's jersey and you're not actually at the game or at a bar, like you're just in your house, that's a little bit that's a little bit too intense for me, I think. But maybe I'm wrong. It's just never been my thing. Uh, coming up on the next episode, we're either going to talk to somebody who just played in the Super Bowl or we're going to be talking to one of the most powerful women in the marijuana industry. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.